the thing with cold calling is just don't make it weird. Just walk in. Don't be nervous. Don't be afraid. Whether it, you, it's in person or if it's over the phone or whatever, it's just you just got to do it. You know, if you're afraid of it, you won't do well. Um, you just kind of got to embrace it. This is the Full Stack Sales Pro. What up, Full Stack crew? Super excited um, to have you guys uh, in this episode today for y'all to listen. Um, we have an absolutely amazing guest. Um, he happens to actually be a just a, a leader on our internal team of what we do here at the Sales Mentor and Traffic and Funnels and all that. But um, the best part about um, what he's going to be able to talk to you guys today about is not actually so much what he does here, but really where he came from and how all of that sales experience and how he transitioned that into what, you know, obviously a lot of you guys as our listeners are listening to being high ticket or the internet marketing space or anything of that, um, you know, particular. So anyways, without further ado, you guys welcome Jeremy Smith to the show. What up, Jeremy? How you doing? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Heck yeah, dude. Thank you, first of all, for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us. I know, I actually know how busy you are, so I'm grateful <laughs> um, that you were able to do that. Um, I think the best way to kind of even get rolling in this would be really telling people how you came into this space, what we know because of all of the sales experience, what you did from there. And then just kind of like tell us more about that, what your experience was, and then we'll get into how all of that's transitioned you into where we're at right now. Does that feel good? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. So okay. how I ended up in in this space it would probably be easier to start with, and then we'll we'll backtrack. But uh, yeah, I so you know mutual friends with Taylor, uh, and I was just at a point in my career in sales, working for a pretty large corporation, and. I just was like more and more and more less fulfilled every single week. Uh, you know, I still loved what I do. I, you know, performed well, but the law of diminishing returns definitely started to kick in with that. And uh, I was looking for a change. Somebody just mentioned Taylor that I know and got us connected. And I think within about a week, I was moved down to Nashville from D.C., working for Taylor. So it all happened really, really quick. But it's probably been the coolest transition I've ever had in my life. So. Nice, nice, nice. That's how we okay, got so here. So what were you doing? How did you get into sales? Yeah, so initially car sales, uh, when I was in college, didn't want to do like a normal restaurant, server, barback type of job. And my brother-in-law's brother was a, a manager of a car dealership. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. he convinced me to come sell cars for a summer. And my first month in, I was top sales guy to a small little dealership in Memphis. And from there, it just, it kind of, it spiraled on into to many different things. But that was the start. Gotcha. So you got into car sales. Were you like 18, 19 or in, in that college 18. age right out of high school? Okay. Yeah, awesome. 18. What was that like? What I mean, because let's say, so, I mean, I don't know. That would have been maybe 10 years ago now. Yeah, ten. Um, yeah, very Cars interesting. Very different <laughs> selling back then than as it is right now. Different. I, absolutely, it was a little bit of a different ball game. You you were more commission based than the average salesperson in the car world today, which is usually like 
an incentive type of pay plan. So you, you really had to do sales and you had to hold gross on vehicles to make your commission. Um, very interesting being 18 years old. I grew up uh, a little bit of a, a sheltered home, I guess you could say. I wasn't really aware of the pains of the world, but hopped into the car business <laughs> as an 18-year-old kid with 45-year-old men that are, you know, uh, they've been in it forever or they washed out of the mortgage business in 08. Uh, was very eye-opening to me. I learned a lot of really, really yeah. great stuff, but also experienced a lot of interesting things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. So what was yeah. that? Explain a little bit more what that was like once you kind of got in. What What were the ways, I mean, things that you, I mean, because have you ever done sales before that moment? Not really. No, I my dad was a, a sales guy. So, you know, I was always around salespeople. And for me, you know, it always seemed like the sales guys had the most fun, you know, whether you're at a restaurant and they were having a, a company event with clients, it, it always seemed very um, shiny object to me because I, I would get to see all these, you know, pictures of me, my dad out entertaining clients and going into expensive dinners and all that stuff. So, um, you know, it was my first go into sales, but I was pretty excited, you know, getting to throw on nice shoes and a nice outfit and a tie and cufflinks was it was a pretty cool experience. So, yeah. Wait, were you having to wear like tie cufflinks and everything in the mid, in the heat of the summer in Memphis? Oh yeah. Oh, my oh yeah. God, I, I would have never <laughs> made it in the heat of the summer wearing cufflinks and a tie. I would have just, I probably would have passed out. I would have, you would have made every it. Shirt that, <laughs> yeah. It would have been so tough. Okay. So you get into sales and what was the first like, thing that you just started realizing very quickly, like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know this about sales or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. The, the first thing I actually picked up on, um, was obviously how fun it was, but I, I the reason why I was having so much fun with it, cause I've always been a social person and a people person. And, you know, you get to talk to this person who needs something that you have and you get to walk them through the process. And if you do your job well, and if you handle objections well, you make money off of it. So for me, I was getting paid to hang out with people, which for me was like mm. my dream, you know. But I would say the best lesson that I learned right off the bat was, uh, and sticks with me to this day, was to stay away from the huddle. Uh, that's an old car biz term, but, you know, same thing with the, the water cooler. You and I have had these conversations, you know, where it's, yeah, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're feeding negativity or if you're around that, that group of salespeople who are feeding negativity, how much that actually carries over into your performance, your mindset, everything that you've got going on, it, it could throw you, throw you way out of pocket. Yeah. Yeah. So what were, so you're saying that there were negative people in the car sales business. Believe it or not, man. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> Believe it or not. Okay, this has nothing to do with normally anything, but I'm going to ask it because I'm curious. Why is there a bad rap on used car sales people? Um, that goes back to probably. Yeah, I mean, no, it, yes and no, right? Like you, you have some incredible <laughs> used car people out there that do everything above the board, um, but the industry is notoriously. I wouldn't say slimy people give it that type of rap. And I think mostly that comes from back in the seventies the and eighties and before then where, you know, you could have a car that was actually worth 3000, but if somebody just didn't know, you could sell for eight, you know, and, and if they finance that, then what happens is this person's now in like a 300% loan to value situation. They're never getting outside of that loan. 
it'll take them years to pay it off and they'll never get their money out of it. I just, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was abused um, and people were taking people for a lot of money and that's, that's where it initially comes from. But there's some great people out there, some, some really good used yeah. car salesmen. Would, would things like, you know, what the average, like myself, the average consumer, is things like, you know, your Carfax report and the way that people buy cars now, has a lot of that been, you know, mitigated out to where it's like, okay, you can't have that dishonesty anymore as much. Yeah. Um, there, there's a the level of like having more information, kind of what you're referring to yeah. where, where it definitely weeds out, uh, the ability for somebody to pull the wool over your eyes in a, in a sense. Uh, but even after, you know, 07, 08 and, you know, the different government organizations started implementing different rules and regulations around lending specifically. So, you know, most banks won't lend you more than 150% loan to value, including any type of warranties and stuff that you, you actually wrap into that product. So the days of signing somebody up at a 200% loan are kind of over, you know? Um, so it just yeah. between intervention in that regards to protect the consumers that are out buying vehicles and between the information that's available to you online through Carfax and things like that, um, it's, it's a lot harder to get raked over the coals, but you still can. Yeah. Okay. What, because I want to get back to what we need to be talking about. What is one piece of advice you would give to people who have to go and buy a, a car, a new or used that you would say, Hey, here's Jeremy Smith's, you know, uh, tips and tricks to not get uh, raked over the coals. Cool. I'm going to save you guys all about $3,000 in interest charges. Whenever you go finance at a dealership, you're, let's say they show you a 4.99% rate. You're probably actually approved at 2.99. Dealers can hold about two points in interest on you. Every F&I person is probably screaming in their chair right now if they're listening to this because I just snagged all of their commission <laughs> from them. But make sure they give you buy rate, not sell rate. That's the terminology you need to know. Nice, nice. So you need to know that buy rate. Okay, cool. Um, back to the uh, program show. So you're in sales, you're doing cars. How long did you stay in that lane? Was it just this summer and then you transition? No, so I, I stayed in car sales from 2012 to 2015. Uh, I worked uh, in Memphis for only a couple months, and then I moved to, to Nashville. was working for Crown Ford in South Nashville at the time. Uh, stayed as a car sales guy. But once I moved up here, I started to transition into the finance department at the dealership, which is kind of where, where the money is and when it comes to commissions nowadays. They're, they're the number number one right behind service moneymaker in a dealership or an automotive group. So I got to learn kind of how to manage relationships with banks and, you know, other third party companies that, uh, you know, help me make money, right. Managing those relationships, you know, really spreading the wealth around with different people in order to maximize like what I could do. Uh, but inside of the retail side of the car dealership for about three years and, and, and then I moved over into the lending world. Got it. Got it. What, how did that transition happen? Like they just saw because you were crushing so many deals that they're like, okay, this is the next step after selling a vehicle is actually transitioning into the finance side. 
It was actually really cool. So um, I worked with a, a gentleman named Rod Ross, still to this day, one of my all-time best mentors when it came to sales anything, in, in just life in general. He's an incredible guy. Uh, I worked underneath him. He taught me so much. Um, made it to where I actually wanted to show up to work because I was actually learning really cool stuff from him. And uh, his wife was a VP of a really large consumer lending company that we actually did a lot of business with too. So I had a little bit of a relationship established. And uh, because of sh how I showed up, how many hours I was putting in, how many sales I was making, he got me connected with the company that she worked for. And they were like, look, this guy can sell. He's a hard worker. Uh, you guys should snag him and, and you know, build him up into something. So, I, I mean, I, I remember it like, like it was yesterday. It was like December 12th, I think, uh, 2015, I believe where um, they took me to a breakfast. I didn't know I was on like an undercover interview. They started talking to me. And by the end of the breakfast, I got an offer letter in my email. And within wow. about two weeks from that point, I was able to move to DC and got started. So, Wow. So you cool. went from Memphis to Nashville, then Nashville to DC. And it was all through the car business. So all along, you're mm -hmm. learning how to communicate, how to talk, how to manage your... Because I mean... Most people probably listening to this podcast are used to having like marketing and people giving them leads to call in the car space. You don't have that. I mean, a lot, a, a lot of it is foot traffic. And then over a long time, you have a book of business. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely establish a book of business over time. Uh, you do get the walk up people. I, you know, where I really learned how to manage a pipeline was kind of at the next phase of my sales career though. Uh, I, in cold calling specifically, I mean, you, you had to sign up X amount of new partners a, a month just to keep your job. And so I was very used and used to and accustomed to walking into an owner's office or a CEO's office and, and stealing 15 minutes of their time unannounced. Got kicked out of a lot of places. So, doing okay. that, but Yeah. 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 Okay. So tell us about that. Like what, what that yeah. looks like that, that type of sales perspective, because I, I think it's very eye opening for a lot of people. Yeah, so you know, it, it was a newer type of uh, strategy for me, going from the car business where most of the stuff, you know, kind of walks in or you build it yourself, to managing. You know, I had a portfolio walking into that business of already signed up dealer partners of mine. You know, I had about five hundred at the time, um, and I had signed up over the next three years about a thousand. So I ended up having to manage fifteen hundred clients at one time, as well as continue to sign up new ones. So, you know, the thing with cold calling is just don't make it weird. Just walk in, don't be nervous, don't be afraid, whether it, you, it's in person or if it's over the phone or whatever, it's just, you just gotta do it. You know, if you're afraid of it, you won't do well. Um, you just kinda gotta embrace it. And when you have the weird, funny situations where somebody escorts you out with a police officer, uh, or, or things of that nature that hang up, hang up on you. You just kind of embrace it and move on, you know, or, Wait, or you're like me and you continue to go back. How many times were you escorted? How many times were you escorted out by the police? <laughs> Probably 12 to 13. <laughs> and they're just like, sir, you can't be here. We don't want your financing options. About, about five of them were from the same guy too. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> hey, I eventually signed him up as a client though. We made a lot of money together. 
So yeah, well, there. I mean, does he ever feel bad and apologize for having you escorted off the property? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Of he does course, not care. Why would he? If he's going to escort you off, he sure as hell not going to apologize. <laughs> it's just kind of okay, a weak so, move if you have to apologize after. Yeah, for sure, it really is. Tell me about. We've had a couple of guests on that had careers where they started in sales, but in a lot of it has cold calling. I feel mm-hmm. like the majority of our listeners right now have not really fully experienced that cold call world. Why in your experience, do you think people have such a hard time doing the cold calling stuff? Uh, it's a lot of rejection. You hear a lot of, lot of no's, um, you know, something that we obviously talk about with our internal team, a lot of the maturity of a salesperson's ability to hear no after no, after no, and still continue to do the right thing every time. When you hear a lot of no's and you're cold calling and you're, you're, dialing 250 different people a day i the rejection's intense uh and, and i think that gets to some people that are maybe not rooted in the right things so how do you get rooted in the right things what does that mean um you know at least for me i can really speak to what works for me it's knowing what i'm ultimately chasing after you know knowing where i want to be short term long term actually having goals set up and, and not just arbitrarily setting up goals, but actually reverse engineering those goals and figuring out, okay, on a daily basis, what are my tasks that are going to get me to that goal? Right. So it's systematized. If I, you know, if if I wake up on a Monday, it's not like, oh, well, what am I going to do today to create revenue? It's what am I going to do today and accomplish that after I accomplish the byproduct will be revenue. Right. Yeah. So for you, being rooted in and being able to handle the rejection is knowing why you're honestly willing to take the rejection. Yeah, my my desire and hunger for the, the goals that I have set, which you and I have talked about, I mean, they're, they're, they're up there, right? Like my desire for those goals and to achieve that trumps any type of rejection, any type of cold call, awkward scenario. I, I don't, none of that stuff will phase me because my desire to hit that outcome is so much greater than maybe the frustration that I, I see in 30 seconds or, or for 30 seconds after I get off a phone call, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. Yeah. Do you believe, because I, I love this. I mean, I know that we've talked about this, you know, in essence, off camera or off the mic, but I'm wanting to ask because I want people to have a better understanding and insight of what it means you know, this is something we deal with our own team of like, they'll hit X amount of number of calls. It doesn't yield said result. And so they're just like, oh, and I'm like, why are you huh? like that? That's what the production role is. That's what it is. I'm wanting to hear from you. Like, do you believe that that can be taught or is it just because your personality is wired that way? Oh, it can a hundred percent be taught. Um, my personality is like, I'm an eight, so I'm definitely pretty goal oriented, you know, and, and I, I desire to achieve my goals. Um, but I think anybody can learn that. It's just, you know, are you at the place in your life where you're willing to maybe sacrifice an hour or two at home on a Tuesday night? Or are you willing to put in that hour and two to hit your goals and your KPIs? Like, are you, are you willing to go the extra mile and actually put in what it's going to take? Um, I was talking to another salesperson earlier today about something similar and it was, um, ultimately I would rather put in an extra hour, two or three a day 
right now in this season of my life to hit my goals and my targets than having an hour to go home and watch a Netflix show, right? Like, like it, cause that's not going to yeah. get me to where I want to be ultimately, right? And so I don't even know, Josh, if it's as much as teaching somebody that. It's just them understanding that this level of hunger is what it takes to get to that next level. And, and if they're not that hungry, you need to reassess what your why is, why you're doing what you're doing, realign yourself with what you ultimately want. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, when I, when I look at like myself, cause I won't, I'll not bring anyone else in. When I look at myself and the reason why I feel like I can take the lickings, you know what I mean? Like take the notes, yeah. the rejection, whatever it is, is because I'm so fixated on that, but it wasn't always that way. Now I would be fixated on something like in a previous career. I was like, okay, I want X and I'm, and I'm going to go for it. But I actually didn't no, no one ever taught me how to reverse engineer it to know what it was. So even though I was fixated on it, there was a lot of frustration because someone right now could be like, Oh, I want, you know, 30, 40 grand a month, no matter what. And then they're not hitting it. And they're like, oh, I want this. And I, I am obsessed with it. Why am I not getting it? It's like, well, cause you don't know how. You've not reverse engineered it. You've not done the math. You've not written it out plainly and clearly and set it before your own eyes to know, like, this is what's going to take. Then in comes our favorite phrase that we use here, which is power comes from self-honesty. It's like, how could you even be honest with yourself? Because you don't even know what you want. So you lack power, which power is simply, simply the ability to influence a situation or people for a desired outcome. And it's like, yeah. you lack that power because you don't know what you want. And I'm like, that's the part where like, I mean, there's a training that we're doing right now that we're getting ready to launch for our um, full stack sales summit that's coming up. Ooh, shameless plug. Hey, we have a full stack sales summit coming up June there you 29th, go. 30th and July 1st. I have actually, I haven't even talked about it yet. Um, not once. <laughs> I, I should probably do that. But we're doing this training point. and it's the idea. Yeah, the idea is to kind of like, teach this very thing that we're talking about. Yeah. You know, I know a little bit about your backstory and it's like, man, you, you had such a work ethic put inside of you. You know, I'm assuming at a young age, but at something it, it, it caught you. And although like, like every human being, you're growing, you're learning, you're developing and getting better every day. It's like, you have that thing in you. That's like, no, I will, I will, the trade off for what I want is a Netflix show and an extra hour over here. You, does that make sense? Dude, it, when I when I think about problems uh, and like little, it can be little or small things that pop up daily, right? I, I always just take a second and I try to revisit, okay, the version of me that is now accomplished these goals and these things that I've set for myself, could, could he handle that? And 99.99% of the time, it, it's not even a question if, if that version of me can handle that. Um, yeah. And it, I, I take that and, and bulldoze whatever the problem is out of the way because it's just not, it's not worth it to me. The trade-off to not hit my goals right now is not worth it at all. Yeah. Man, I, if, if people could take that one thing that you just said, uh, the whole entire show, the trade-off, to not hitting your goals is not worth it. That that right there, I think would increase closing percentages. It would increase desire, passion, wants, uh, work ethic. 
knowing what I won't do is not worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it, absolutely brilliant. Okay. So you go from finance, you doing it there. Then how did we get to here to this space? Yeah. So I back up for 30 seconds. I was working in consumer lending, managing uh, really, really large markets, uh, kind of in the Northeast, mid-Atlantic of the U.S. And I just kind of hit a wall. Um, was a little bit sick of the auto industry, just kind of started to fall out of love with it. It just wasn't really there for me anymore. And like I was saying earlier, you know, I, I really wanted to just kind of wipe the slate clean. And, um, you know, doors started to open for me. I had a couple of different doors that opened up and, uh, you know, the one big question mark was actually coming to work for Taylor. Cause I didn't know anything about what we did. I mean, I didn't know what we sold. All I knew was Taylor was really cool and all the salespeople had a lot of money. Uh, and <laughs> that, that was, that was it, man. There was more Teslas in the parking lot than any other vehicle. So I was like, this could be a fun place to work. Um, yeah. so I ended up kind of just taking a big leap of faith. I knew it was way different than anything I had done before when it came to sales and, um, you know, a good mutual friend got us connected, decided to just go ahead and jump right in. I, the day I got hired was the day I got an apartment in Nashville. Two days later, I moved down here. And then I believe within the next four days, I started working in the office. Um, mm. Incredible, incredible life move that I would never would have guessed would have panned out the way it did. <laughs> so. so when you came into the space, which was the space being high ticket closing, more phone based, um, mm -hmm. I mean, most sales cycles, especially in the car world, are probably much longer than what this one is. Because most of the time, this is in a forty-five minute to an hour, yeah. you know, call for the for the most part. What was that like transitioning? It was fun. It was really fun. I uh, one of the things that I loved about being in the retail side of the car business was you would take somebody from stranger to paying client usually within a three to four hour window. Getting somebody mm -hmm. to spend almost sometimes equal the same amount of money in a 45 minute window was like instant gratification. So much fun. Uh, there's just a rush to selling high ticket, you know, and in getting on a call with somebody overcoming objections and at the 45 minute mark, being able to like close the deal out as one, go ring the bell in the office and then get on another one right away. Like it was so, yeah. so quick and so rapid and the frequency of which you were on and off calls was so much fun. Um, there were some challenges for sure, you know. Um, what, what were some of the biggest challenges? Really adapting um, the style of sales. You know, I, I was used to way longer mm -hmm. relationship building type of sales, handshakes and dinner, dinners together. And, um, you know, having to kind of reset back to the baseline of everything that I had learned about sales in the beginning get back to the basics and then from there build into kind of this new branch of sales for, for my skill set, you know? Um, so there was a little bit of a learning curve there, but you know, fortunately we had some great people on the team. I was able to listen to some calls, take really good notes for the first week and then hit the ground running and first full week, I think I closed like six deals. Uh, yeah. so. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you, because I mean, obviously you had, tremendous success um, when you were closing full-time um, and then obviously like any great closer you get 
moved out because there's always way too much value, um, you know, within that person to keep them in that role. But looking back now, if you were to look at other, you know, people selling Cutco, people door to door knocking, uh, people in, honestly, even in, um, T-Mobile, you know, Verizon, uh, car sales. Why would you, you know, recommend this, this space in this field for sales? Yeah. Um, so much of sales nowadays isn't really sales at all anymore. Uh, we've, you know, as, Mm. as an industry, we've gotten so far away from our baseline, uh, could be due to companies that you work for or whatever the reason is. It just, there's a lack of actual real sales involved in most sales jobs nowadays. Um, so for me, you know, the, the reason why I would recommend this to anybody over any of those options that you mentioned is you truly do have an uncapped income. Um, we've watched you and I both people come into this industry, never done sales before, and have a $40,000 a month or have a $20,000 a month. Yep. Just, just because there's no cap on what you can do and, and you truly are paid based off of how much you put in, how hard you work, how late you stay, how many calls you take. Um, the fact too is like, you know, the numbers that, that we were throwing around earlier, uh, I think what 2015, this was a $46 billion market. We're estimated to be over 300 billion in 2025, the e-learning industry, just that industry for high ticket sales alone. I mean, you're never gonna not have an opportunity to close deals. You're never gonna be without a job. You're more recession proof. You're, you're more, you know, whatever proof, right? We've gone through several things in the last mm-hmm. couple of years that affected people's sales jobs. Um, yeah, yeah. So the, the ability to always have a job, ability to make as much money as you want. And then also I would say, the ability to have some flexibility uh, and kind of live a little bit more of a, a balanced lifestyle. Yeah. Do you believe that in the high ticket space, somebody can have a balanced lifestyle, have freedom, flexibility, be with their family, but at the exact same time achieve, you know, great heights and results? 100%. I, you know, some of it comes down to the organization you work for. Uh, but I believe in any organization, especially a sales, high performance sales organization, um, there are ways to systematize what you do from nine to five. Uh, and if you are really effective and you're really efficient and you, you constantly sharpen your skill set to get better, close deals faster, close deals more often, you can hit crazy income targets and work 40 hours a week or 30 hours a week. But it's all on how you set yourself up how you set up your pipeline, how you work your pipeline, stuff like that. So if you set yourself up in the beginning and you create systems and processes to only make you more effective and efficient on calls, off calls, you can have as much balance as you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Which all of that greatly affects your closing percentage, which if you can get to a point where you're at 35, 40% staying consistent at that. I mean, you're almost at literally one out of every two, right? So even if you were out 33 and you're at one out of every three, man, you can maximize a whole lot more just by increasing that. Oh, that's good. Okay, man, dude, this is, go ahead. 
No, go ahead. You're good. Oh, I was just going to say thank you so much. This has been an absolute uh, epic little show just because I think it gives people a very clear understanding of like the trajectory of where people are at and no matter where they start from and what they could learn, sales is something that could take you anywhere, literally around the world, but definitely in any field. And with the way that the world is going, this online industry space, uh, the e-learning online, you're right, it's not going away. I mean, at this point, the internet has to literally shut down for people to not have job security. 100%. And, well, at that point, we're in an apocalypse, so it doesn't really matter. So, you know what I mean? So, it's like, well, you don't even need to worry find, about find, it. Just worried about find me and Josh. <laughs> yeah, just find us. You'll probably want to work on our farms. So, um, anyways, well, uh, as always, I love to end this doing this. What is your funniest or worst clothes story ever? Like one that would just oh. leave them on a good chuckle. <laughs> I, I had a, um, I had a gentleman. He was just a, a very optimistic, upbeat guy. I was nurturing. This was actually for traffic and funnels. Um, he, I believe, lived in um, the Philippines. And he calls me one day. I've been nurturing him for like two, three months. And he's like, hey, man, look at your Facebook Messenger. And I so I open a Messenger, and I see just a stack of $100 bills. And I was like, hey, how did you get this? Because, like, three days ago, you had no cash on hand, and we were going to have to, like, come up with a different game plan. And he starts telling me how he, he – I, I believe he, like, stole his, his uncle's uh, farm animals and sold them to come oh up with gosh. the cash to, to get the help that he needed. And he was so nervous oh. about it that he was asking me to delete all of the messages. He didn't want to get caught. Like it was just, it was a really, really funny thing in the moment that I probably laughed more at than anything. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cause that's how, you know, when you've got something good that somebody yeah. will literally go to any height to uh, yeah. leverage a goat or farm animals <laughs> to achieve said results. Also, I just want to go on the record uh, saying that we at Traffic and Funnel do not support <laughs> you selling other people's property to then yield you a return in a result. Also, Taylor Crisp, sorry, and NSA, we had nothing to do with it. Um, well, Jeremy, thank you for your time. Thank you for just giving us your wisdom and dropping some knowledge. Um, guys, if you want to uh, learn more about Jeremy, hit him up, follow him on Facebook, Instagram. We'll put his links in there. But um, he's over here just crushing it at our, our companies, especially in the sales mentor space, really helping guiding, uh, empower, enhance. And we have a new training with Jeremy coming out real soon, um, literally teaching you how to make the most amount of money possible uh, off of your CRM, um, really diving into the weeds. It's probably, I would say to date, it will be the most tactical training we have ever done in the history of the whole entire company because it's so nitty and gritty that it, it, it's going to empower any sales professional. I don't care what uh, CRM they use. It's, it's going to empower them. So that'll be on uh, popping off real soon. So uh, thank you for that as well. But thank you for today, man. And appreciate you. Awesome. Glad to be here. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. All right, guys, as always, you know, the drill, 
Uh, we ask nothing of you other than simply, if you got something out of this, just share the episode. The episode is meant to empower you. It's meant to inspire you. It's meant to influence you to, be to become the best version of yourself. That's, that's really what it comes down to. So if you got something out of this episode, please share it with somebody. If you know somebody in the car industry space and be like, you got to hear this guy's story. He was getting people to sell goats to buy stuff. So um, you want to share that. That's all we ask because that's where it's going to make uh, the most amount of impact. But other than that, uh, full set crew. Until next time, appreciate it.